today's scripture reading in a roundabout sort of way points us back to this conversation to the subject of life after death. Even as we come together on All Saints Day, in the remembrance of death, we know that death does not have the final word as followers of Jesus Christ. And in today's scripture reading, one of the Jewish theological parties, uh, political groups, mostly theological, uh, challenges Jesus' theology around that. We read it in this conversation in Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him, that being Jesus, and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, then the second And the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For her seven, for the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. The word of God, for the people of God, thanks be to God. Amen. I had a great, I had many great teachers growing up. One of my favorites was my third grade teacher, Miss Kurtz. And she made the best use of those in-between unit days. You finish one subject matter or one unit in a subject, and you haven't quite started the next. And while sometimes we got busy work, we didn't always get busy work. And the best days were when she challenged our brains a little bit and, and offered us puzzles, um, word puzzles. Sometimes they were, brain, well, they were brain teasers, rather, not puzzles. And sometimes they were word-oriented, sometimes math-oriented. And every once in a while, she'd bring in stuff that you had to manipulate and use a different part of your brain to, to figure stuff out. I love those days. And, and today, in memory of my third grade teacher, Miss Jan Kurtz, I thought we'd explore a few brain teasers together. You do not have to answer this. these. I will just, anyway, all right? How, and I, it's a, they're multiple choice, by the way, so just so you know that. How many three-cent stamps in a dozen? Three. Four, or six, or 12, however you get to 12, because there's 12, because there's always 12 in a dozen. doesn't matter how, many, how much the stamps cost. All right. 
You're the pilot of an airplane that travels from New York to Chicago, a distance of 800 miles. For math purposes, 800, for storytelling, 800 miles. The airplane travels at 200 miles per hour, makes one stop for 30 minutes. What's the pilot's name? There's information missing. That's A. B, you can't tell from the question. C, both A and B. D, we go back to B. You can't tell from the question. You're the pilot. What's your name? Is it legal for a man to marry his widow's sister? A, yes. B, no. C, legally, legality has nothing to do with it. D, it's legal but unethical. Psst, the man is dead. If he has a widow... He's dead. He's not marrying anybody. So these are trick questions. They're brain teasers. They're meant to help us expand our way of thinking and to think creatively about different things. But in the public square, trick questions have a different purpose. They're gotcha. They're gotcha games. We see those in, in politics. You see them in town halls. You see them sometimes in meetings. These gotcha things that try to back somebody else into a corner, and this is not new, folks. We see it 2,000 years ago between the Sadducees and Jesus. We see them between the Pharisees and Jesus, and it was something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did to each other. We get in, it's interesting today. We hear a lot about Pharisees and um, something being pharisaical. We don't hear too much about Sadducees, but they both have their gotcha questions for Jesus, and they both seems not only to be at odds with Jesus, but at odds with one another. They have different theological frameworks, uh, and they both have different theological roles. The Sadducees' work was in the temple. They ran the temple business, and they primarily served uh, about at the altar for sacrifices. That was their primary task as religious leaders for the people of Israel. Pharisees taught uh, in the villages and in the towns. They were the ones that ran the um, that, uh, goodness, I'm blanking. They ran the, they're not churches. You go to synagogues. Wow. Well, lift my head up here for a second and I'll lose my words. They ran the synagogues where the people went to learn uh, and to grow and, and live out their faith. And not only did they have different roles, but they had different frameworks for their faith. The Sadducees only uh, followed the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would call it the Pentateuch or the Torah or the law. That was their framework. And if it wasn't in those, they didn't, they didn't have any bearing on their theological understanding of the world. The Pharisees took all of what we, um, of, of the Torah, the five books, the prophets, and they also took in the oral traditions that includes teachings of Moses. And for them, the the teaching of resurrection was included in those oral traditions around the person of Moses, which we do not have in our Old Testament, by the way. But they had that belief. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, in the public square, they would have these public debates around their theology and particularly around the subject of resurrection. And it feels like when the Sadducees came to Jesus, they had a well used weapon in their arsenal a verbal weapon in their arsenal with this question they were ready to come at jesus uh, and challenge his teachings challenge his authority and and hopefully to undercut also the pharisees at the same time it is interesting when we see different groups come at jesus when they 
when they do have overlaps, these these groups by themselves weren't all bad. They just had different aspects and different individuals within those groups came at Jesus when others were followers of his or would become followers of his in the future. So they came at Jesus with this theological trap. And if you read this text without any background, it may sound as if they're coming curious. They want an answer to this question. But when you know that the Sadducees, part of their theological framework is that they don't believe in the resurrection. There's nothing in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, about the resurrection. So they have no theology around resurrection. Well, if they do, it's that there is none. There is no life after death. When you're dead, you're just dead. So they come after Jesus with this question about marriage after death, marriage and resurrection, knowing full well that they don't believe in resurrection at all. By the way, if you ever have a hard time pronouncing, knowing how to pronounce that word Sadducees, or at least how we do it in modern America, they don't believe in the resurrection, so they must be sad you see. So anyway, I, I learned that from a person in a disciple class many, many moons ago. It's either that or they sound like a mafia family, the, Sadduce, the Sadducees, but I didn't mean to plant that in here. They're the Sadducees. So let's go back to the question. This is the riddle. Um, there was a family in which there were seven brothers, all married the same woman, and not one of them produced a child. And finally, later, the woman died. And in the resurrection, the Sadducees want to know whose wife will this woman be? Because all, all, all seven of the brothers had been married to her at some point. So this was something that Moses had put into place, that the people of Israel had put into place when they were watering, wandering the wilderness, trying to maintain cohesiveness, trying to maintain, well, really to reestablish identity as a people. So this was trying to hold together family units when family units were, at, at, were stressed at their max. So this was provision that was put in there just to perpetuate the family line. And, and starting with the older brother, because that's how they rolled back then. So they get through all of that, and, and they come to this, who's going to be married to, to him at the end of, uh, in the resurrection? And Jesus gives them more than they were counting on. More than that, I think that they were, could really handle. We don't hear what their response is but that doesn't seem like they have much of one. Not only did Jesus have an answer for their trick question, but he gave, also gave us the means to reevaluate how we see the world, live out our days, and exist in community. In this text, Jesus gives us resurrection perspective, resurrection way of life, and resurrection relationships. So let's explore those three things. Resurrection perspective. The Sadducees didn't have an eternal perspective. All they saw is all that was, and all that, and when it wasn't seen anymore, it was gone. It's kind of like when you play hide and seek with a toddler, and they cover their eyes. If they can't see it anymore, it doesn't exist. They th- or they think they they can't see you, for that matter. Object permanence, right? Something like that. That a very rigid worldview. That creates a very rigid understanding of life around us. Things are the way they are, and things will never change. The saying that lepers never change their spots. Would the Sadducees would probably adopt that way of thinking, because people don't change. Just like things don't change, people don't change, 
and they were defenders of the status quo. They were friends. They made friends with the Romans so that they could maintain their authority and maintain, their, maintain this quasi-sense of peace in Jerusalem and in Israel. But we as Christians are challenged to allow our acceptance of the truth that there is resurrection, that there is life after death, to affect our lives today and giving us this eternal uh, resurrection perspective on life. And with that, we have a redemptive worldview. People can change. If, that doesn't, if that's not true, then the gospel has almost no power. If we can't believe that God's grace can change people from the inside out, then we have very little to talk about. But we believe that just as Jesus overcame death and, and, and defeated sin and death and overcame that and was restored to life, that we can be restored to fullness of life in this world. John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, talked about perfection, and it's not about getting everything right all the time. It's about being full and complete in God's grace and God's love. And that's the path that we are on as followers of Jesus. We believe that is possible. We believe that we can be more and more and more, not better and better and better, but more and more and more those whom God has called us and created us to be. That's a resurrection perspective. It's redemptive. It's transforming. It means that we don't have to stay the same. That means we can overcome uh, the challenges that are around us and within us as long as we approach them with Jesus by our side. Jesus also gives us this resurrection way of life when he talks to the Pharisees. Uh, part of their question is, um, who's, who is, part of the answer to their question is about who is worthy of entering the kingdom of heaven to begin with. He says it's available to those who are worthy. And the question of worthiness for the Pharisees would have been those who have kept the law and ver- therefore live righteous lives. The Sadducees, they wouldn't care about it to the extent of resurrection, but they would have cared about worthiness as done by, by making the proper sacrifices at the proper time. That was, that was sufficient for them. And, and for most Americans, according to surveys, they would believe that good people who do good things are those who eventually enter into heaven. But the core of the gospel is that, unfortunately, none of us are worthy. Through the fall and through our bent towards sin, none of us are on our own worthy for this gift, this amazing gift of God's grace. But we are made worthy in and through the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot make ourselves worthy. We can't do good enough on our own to get there. So our worthiness is never our own, but it's imparted righteousness. It's given to us to live through us in and from the person of Jesus Christ. Through his suffering, his death, and resurrection, Jesus defeated sin and death. And through our faith in him, we become worthy, again, not of our own, but because of him, of the resurrection. And that faith in Jesus Christ does come to be lived out in resurrection living. Because our living doesn't save us, but through our salvation, we live differently. We see the world differently. We see, the, we see that which, which can be transformed, that which can reflect the love, and the, of love, love of God and the kingdom of God um, breaking through here in this world. So we live for that and we live towards it. 
And Jesus gives us resurrection relationships. He closes those comments to the Sadducees, not really grappling uh, with the whole marriage situation, but he, he takes on this idea of resurrection, that our God does not, is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Our God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. And I don't know why, but that just strikes me to my core. Today we're going to celebrate Holy Communion, not with the saints who are alive right now, but with the saints who have ever lived. Today we have remembered the saints who have gone before us, and not just the ones in the past year, but the all before, and not just because they're gone and gone forever, but because they are alive forevermore in the presence of our Creator. We serve a God who is a God of the living. And there is power in that. There is power to transform lives to transform communities and change the world, as Minu, Pastor Minu, shared with us last week. And that power lives on in our relationships. Because a resurrection people, uh, community isn't limited by time and place, or even life and death. In the light of the resurrection, we have limited time together in this world, but we have the potential for eternity in the next. Now, Jesus does say the nature of relationships are different in heaven. I don't know what they're going to look like, but I think they're going to be better than we could ever imagine. I trust Jesus for that. And on this Sunday of All Saints Sunday, remembering the saints who have left this part of the community to await us in the next, we miss them here, but they eagerly await us there. Jesus has given us relationships that are not temporary, but potentially eternal. Imagine how much better we would treat people if we believed that about every person whom we meet. There are no throwaway people. There are no throwaway people. Somebody you may pass on the street could be Somebody you get to hang out in heaven with forever. There are no throwaway people. The person who's had a bad day at the, at the checkout line, who is not very happy to see you, is not a throwaway person. They're a child of God, just like you are, and there's potential for an eternal relationship there. You may never build on it this, in this life, but it may be part of the one to come. When we see through resurrection eyes, and as resurrection people, we live differently. We love differently. We, would, we don't use people up, and we don't use people at all. People are no longer a tool or a burden or an opportunity or an obstacle. They are a child of God made in the image of God and potentially forever friend. I don't know if any of these Sadducees' minds were changed by Jesus' teaching. But as we embrace the truth of the resurrection, it can change how we see the world, how we live in the world, and how we love in the world. And as we do so, like Pastor Mini preached on last week, again, the kingdom of God comes breaking through in our world and in our lives. We see glimpses of the kingdom to come. We get to live it in, in moments of, of beauty and, and holy righteousness as we anticipate its fullness in eternity. The power of the resurrection isn't just about waiting for heaven. It's not a promise that we just hold on to for after we die. 
It's a promise that we live into every day that empowers us, that enables us, that guides us and directs us, that helps us to look at the world longer and deeper and to see all that is which God has before us. It's a power that brings fullness and depth and meaning and fruitfulness to every aspect of our lives. It changes our perspectives, adds greater meaning to our way of life, and enhances every relationship's potential. May we be those resurrection people whose worthiness is not our own, but it puts Jesus on full display. And maybe, and maybe those who don't know Jesus will want to get to know this one who makes the world a better place through us. Amen. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for the gift of resurrection. For the promise of forever with one another and with you, and also for the gift that it gives us in this world, in the midst of our living here and now. It helps us to see the world differently, helps us to see people differently, helps us to live differently and to love differently. With the power of the resurrection coursing through our veins, we give thanks. For this and all things, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.